This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And today we have a very special guest. I first met him probably three or four years ago now. Uh, my wife, Mindy, had told me, hey, we're having this event at the HQ and... Uh, this JT guy contacted me and said, Oh, can I come too? We'd like to, he'd like to meet me. He's listened to my podcast. I'm like, that sounds great. And the funny thing was, I know a couple other JTs. So I just assumed it was this other JT that we knew. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I know that that person, it'll be fine. So then I go to the HQ. I'm like, Oh no, that's not, this is a different JT. So, but it, it's been really good. You might be my favorite JT of all the JTs I know. And I know wow. many and a JD. But what we're here to talk about today is uh, this particular JT happened to hitch his ride post. I don't know. What wagon. It, yeah, wagon, wagon. That's what I'm looking for. He hitched his wagon, aka job, to the right company and has done really well in big tech. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and more. So tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is JT. Uh what I do personally, uh, I like to run, I like to read, uh, I like to, to hang out with my, my wife and my kids. Uh, I love to come to Longmont, Colorado and drink your delightful beer. Uh, what I do professionally uh, is I work on a team that uh, designs and tests microprocessors. So I've worked for companies like uh, Intel, AMD, ARM, kind of those big computer chip companies. Awesome. And you have a fun story. So this is like a little segment we're trying. This one's called Get to Know JT a little bit. And you have a great honeymoon story. So keep it clean, please. Sure. But um, yeah, tell us your honeymoon story. Yeah, I, I asked my wife, what is the most JT story that you can think of? And she said, well, we, we you need to talk about when we went to British Columbia on our, our honeymoon. Uh, and there were two pieces of that story that I think really highlight the JT-ness that was there. Uh, one, uh, I mentioned I, I do love to run. Uh, I had a, a period of life where I did a bunch of marathons. And one of those was was when we got married and we went on our honeymoon. So I would go and disappear for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, I think I did uh, a 12-mile long run and like a half marathon, like just – uh, uh, race effort, right? Just a time trial for myself. So we'd be on our honeymoon and I'd just disappear for a couple hours. Uh, my wife has been wonderful at humoring my weird and strange hobbies. Uh, and it, it started super early. Uh, the second interesting story was I thought, you know, this could be great. We could save a little bit of money. Uh, we were in British Columbia because my brother was, was participating in the Ironman triathlon that's out there every summer. Uh, it's in a little town. All the hotels get really full for the Ironman because it's not a big city or anything. So I thought we could save a little money and just stay with with my brother. They've got some extra space and and the hotel room that that he had. Uh, so we spent several days uh, of our honeymoon on a futon in a hotel room in Penticton, <laughs> British Columbia. And uh, a couple days into it, my wife was like, 
what are we doing on a futon on our honeymoon? <laughs> and she has never let me live it down since. Uh, we will, I'll be hearing about it, I'm sure, for uh, forever. Yeah. Uh, but And rightly so. Rightly so. That was not the place to save money. Uh, but it is a very good, you know, illustration of, of JT. Did you have to, did you have some kind of thing? I know in college, you put something on the doorknob to indicate to someone who might come we, in. We, we took the shower curtain and hung it out in front. No, uh, <laughs> no, no, no signals. That would have been good though. Smart. Yeah. Ahead. And it's probably better not to answer that question because if she ever listened to this, then she'd have yet another reason to relive that memory and add something even possibly worse to it so good that you stopped there jt all right so you mentioned uh some big companies that you worked for so can you talk about your educational background yeah so uh i have a a bachelor's degree in electrical and computer engineering from the university of texas at austin go longhorns uh and uh after that i went to get um uh, i was hoping to get a doctorate degree i wanted to teach so i went to the university of illinois at urbana champaign uh, entered into their doctoral program, decided I don't actually like grad school. Uh, in fact, I, I, I hate grad school more than I love teaching, uh, which was a surprise to me. So I um, did a, a thesis program there and, and exited that program with a, a master's degree in computer engineering. Gotcha. And did you know that you liked computer engineering like out of the out of the gates, like, you know, we're in high school and you're picking a major, we have the same major. Um, and I, I don't know, probably a couple years in, I was like, I don't know if I like this so much, but I finished it and it was fine. But yeah. Did you know, like that you were really going to love it? Uh, I, I knew I enjoyed computers. Uh, we had an Apple two E from when I was like seven so we were we were pretty early into personal computers. We were pretty early into the internet. Um, you know, I was the nerd in high school that would log on to the bulletin board service with my fourteen four baud modem and yeah. hear all the fun noises and do all that. So I and and I took programming you know classes in high school as well. Uh, so I knew I liked computers. I knew I was you know good with them, good at math. Uh, and, and that seemed like a good direction for, for me to go. I generally enjoyed the program. Um, you know, I, I think unlike what, what I heard you describe that you just yeah. didn't, uh, there were a handful of classes that, uh, I, I didn't really like, but on the whole, I liked learning about how computers worked, um, you know, pretty much from the, the transistor level all the way through like operating systems and, mm-hmm. and, and application software. This may have gotten yeah. way more nerdy than you expected <laughs> in, a, in a hurry. But yeah, no, I, I, I uh, enjoyed the, the, the program. And, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioning a couple of things. I'm like, ah, there were certain aspects that I did enjoy. It was just more like the college uh, experience. And then when it got into like the details of like, well, the stuff that you do, like the processor design, I was like, ah, this isn't as interesting. I definitely like the, some of the coding pieces and the intersection with hardware and software that was definitely getting nerdy. But Carl, you, you did software, but you didn't have an education uh, or you didn't have an education background in that. So how did you get from where you were to coding? Um, Yeah, that is correct. I went to school for biology and chemistry. And then I went for a PharmD, which is a doctorate of pharmacy because I had no idea what else to do with my life. It was just a default option. 
that sounded okay. I realized I didn't like that. Um, right around that time, Y2K was happening and there was a, a certificate program where you could learn programming in 30 weeks. It was what you'd call a boot camp now, basically. You go for like three days a week, two hours a day, and you they cram a very bunch of specific knowledge about the code um, and about... Um, it was very, so I was going to ask you, JT, if what you learned at school is relevant to what you do at your job. And for this program, it was directly relevant. They taught you exactly what you needed to know. So it was very valuable because I was able to get a job. And then as soon as I did that, I retrained myself in modern object-oriented languages out of COBOL and transitioned. So before you ask the question, I have to jump in. So in the boot camp, did they just tell you how to change a two to a four? It was a little bit more sophisticated than that, but but COBOL is pretty simple. Just not many keywords and sure. yeah, tables okay. were the hardest thing. That's easy. There's like six people in the audience I that know. picked up what, what I was saying. So yeah, ask the question you were going to ask. Yeah. So I'm curious, JT, you went for all this school. How much of it, how well did it prepare you for what you do today at work? Uh, I've, I think it prepared me pretty well. There is a lot um, in industry that just hasn't made its way into the university setting yet. So there's certainly lots of, of skills and background knowledge that I picked up on the job. But I think uh, a lot of the classes that I took were, were directly useful in just understanding uh, how microprocessors work broadly. And a lot of them were also useful in uh, giving lots of practice in identifying failures and figuring out why things work the way that they do, which is a big part of my job, uh, and and going and, and recognizing and fixing mistakes. Cool. So let's transition to talk about your job a little bit. You work in big tech, and I think uh, I know the compensation there is a little bit different. You've got a salary, but then you're compensated in other ways that might work out really, really well for you if the company happens to work out well. Can you talk about that? Sure, yeah. So uh, all tech companies will work slightly differently, uh, but the ones that I'm familiar with will usually have uh, a cash component and then an equity component. And frequently the the equity, especially for your individual contributor type like me, uh, will come in the form of restricted stock units. So they'll say at varying points, when you join or during performance reviews or things like that, uh, we'll give you X dollars, you know, so many dollars worth of our company stock at this point in time. And then when the grant gets approved, they'll convert that into shares. So they might say, you know, we'll give you $10,000 worth of company stock. Uh, our stock is worth $100 right now. So when the grant's approved, uh, usually by the company board, they'll say you'll get 100 shares. And they usually will give you those shares over a period of time. Four years is pretty common. Some companies will do three, some companies will do five. Yeah, but, but four years is pretty typical. So of that 100 shares, you'll get 25 shares every year. And they'll... Uh, vest or, you know, become available to you, uh, maybe on a quarterly basis, sometimes on a monthly basis, sometimes on an annual basis, all that's going to vary depending on, on the company. And then by the time those, those shares vest or you, you are able to take ownership of them, hopefully your company stock has gone up 
And now that $10,000 is worth $12,000 or $15,000 or $20,000 by the time that those shares have, have vested to you. Yeah. So the key to this is you're granted the stock at one price and you're locked in at that. So if the stock goes 10x after that, you've done really well for yourself. Yeah. And if the stock is one-tenth of that, then you haven't done really well for yourself. Uh, and I've been in companies that have done both. Awesome. So you mentioned several places that you've worked. How many places have you worked at? Uh, I've worked at four companies after I've graduated. Gotcha. And then, yeah. So how many of the companies had the, you know, stock compensation? Uh, Three of them. There was one uh, company that I worked at that was, was based overseas and they didn't trade on, you know, the, the U S exchanges. So they, would do cash bonuses instead of, uh, instead of stock. Okay. And then you signed on with the right company. So what does it feel like to get the golden ticket? Uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah. Uh, it was, it was pretty unexpected. Uh, our, our company has gone up 12 or 15 or something times since I joined on. Uh, and, and that definitely, uh, has an impact on on our net worth and and sort of how we're we're able to think about money and how we think about our our financial goals kind of moving forward. Um, Does it even feel real or is it surreal all of a sudden? Like I I don't know. For myself, I'm in a much better place than I ever thought I would be as a kid. And now, uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, the the more those shares vest, the more it feels real. Um, so, uh, our RSUs are done through E-Trade, like lots of the restricted stock is, and E-Trade will tell you like, here's how much money you would have if all of your shares were vested right now. And, and that piece of it still, you know, feels like monopoly money, right? It's still, it still definitely doesn't feel real. Uh, but as those shares vest and, um, you know, we vest every quarter and you see, uh, a significant percentage of your annual salary just show up as part of your your quarterly stock vesting. Um, there's not really any way for that not to feel real because it's it's right there in, in your account. Uh, it's still strange, um, but it it is you know it does it does feel real. I think to to us. And then you had this happen, uh, or, or you were compensated in that way in the past. Um, how did it turn out in the past? I know you said, you know, one went down a little bit. Yeah. So the first company I joined, um, in 2006, I, I think they, between when I joined and when I left, their stock went down 60%, 70%. So, uh, it definitely colors your opinion on how much of, those restricted stock shares you should keep in that individual company versus trying to do something else with it. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit later about how that money has or has not changed you. I think that's such a fascinating topic. I think about it with myself, what I do differently. If I didn't have the money, would I be a different person? But yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Let's talk about financial independence a little bit. When did you first learn about financial independence? So I think our first big exposure to financial independence was in 2018. Uh, at the time, I was working in in a job for a company that I really liked and a team that I really liked, but doing work that I really didn't like. And uh, somewhere in that time period, 
a conversation with a previous colleague came back to to mind and he was talking about this Mr. Money Mustache guy and how, you know, well, this guy says if you save 25 times the amount that you spend, um, then you, you can be done working. And I've been fortunate enough to have jobs that I usually really enjoy. And this was something different. So I thought I'm going to go, I'm going to go check this out. Uh, so I binged 10 years worth of Mr. <laughs> Lady Mustache blog posts over the summer uh, and, and read through, through his blog, through the mad scientist blog, started listening to podcasts um, because I'm your stereotypical obsessive engineer. Uh, and, and that was really kind of the, the start of, of our financial independence journey, um, like really seriously and intentionally. Cool. And how were you doing? Like before that, were you putting money into 401k and the normal kind of stuff? Yeah. So my, uh, my goal before that was always to, to take 10% of, of our income and put it for long-term investments, whether that was IRAs or 401ks or, or taxable accounts, um, which, you know, I'd done that since my, like my college jobs. Um, so we started in a, in a pretty good situation anyway. Uh, and, and it just really accelerated when I started looking through the, the other options that were available and how we were spending and how we were investing. Okay. And on that note, did you change anything after, you know, reading all the blogs and everything? We, we did. Um, we were big, uh, big foodies. We went out a lot, uh, both just, just my wife and I, and then, uh, we would go out a lot with our kids cause we'd get to four o'clock, four thirty on a, Wednesday afternoon or something and look at each other and go, all right, well, what are we, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to go to the burger place, you know, and the burger place is right next to the ice cream place. So I guess we're going to the ice cream place too. Uh, so, um, the, the biggest change was probably to, to take that and, and put in, uh, you know, more of a meal plan, uh, and, and really be more intentional about that. I think we, we halved the amount of money that we spent on food in like two months, uh, just because of the you know eating out less and then you know having a plan were were the the two big pieces of that. Did that feel like a big sacrifice? You know, it didn't. Um, largely because uh, a lot of the the reason that we would go out to eat was because we didn't have any. You know, it seemed like so much work to figure out what we want, go to the grocery store, get all the stuff, come back, you know, cook it. Um, so it was, it was more of a default option at that point than something that we really enjoyed. And we found as we started, uh, making more of our food at home that, Hey, it's actually, it's not any slower, right. Than than going, um, and we don't have to put in a lot of time to think about it either because we have this plan already in place, getting to five o'clock on a Wednesday and going, what are we having for dinner? Well, we'll just look at our meal plan spreadsheet. And that's the answer. You know, that, that took a lot of the, the stress out of it. Um, and, and really made it a, a more pleasant experience for, for us. And I think this is a good time for a tangent. So you're from the land of uh, barbecue, Austin. Yes. And tell me, tell me your recipe or your normal uh, tactics for brisket. 
Uh, I I follow the the Aaron Franklin um, method for brisket. So you know, salt and pepper, uh, nothing nothing super fancy in terms of of what you put on it. Uh, you know, in a in a smoker, uh, kind of go go through the stall, wrap it, leave it there till it's at the temperature that you want. Pull it out, let it rest, and and then slice it up. Simple. Yeah, that's what I do too. And there's a great video on YouTube. People can look up. Uh, Franklin has like several things that he cooks. Have you gone through all the videos he has on YouTube there? Uh, I've, I've done a couple of them, uh, yeah. but, but not all of them yet. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Brisket's good. And that's the tangent. So we're, we're, we're good with that. I, I have a tangent to your tangent, Doug. There is a city in California that's famous for asparagus. They even have an asparagus festival. So kind of the same thing, I guess we should go out there for that sometime. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it in a while. Um, but when you were in Germany, you found all these uh, girthy white yeah. asparagus, right? Have you had any white asparagus? Do you know? I, I'm sure I have because we lived in Germany when I was younger. So we probably had the same girthy sure. white asparagus that yeah. Carl is familiar with now. Yeah. Um, but we left there when I was eight. So I, I may not remember it. Yeah. And you said it was the, the girth of a, uh, what a Costco hot dog, right? Yeah, it was pretty similar. I, I wish I would have had it. You know, I remember seeing white asparagus in grocery stores as a kid and my mom never bought it. So I've never had it before. I don't see it in the stores out here. Like one day you will be mine, white asparagus. As we'll as have to go somewhere special, like a Whole Foods. It's too expensive though. I must yeah. never go in there. Yeah. So. Well, well, maybe at the asparagus festival in California. if we. They, I, but, I bet they got all kinds out there. So, okay. Uh, did you tell your wife about Phi and was she on board? Uh, yeah, we, we talked about it and she was, she was generally on board. Uh, she... Um, grew up very frugally as well and and went through before I met her when she was in graduate school she also lived um, very very frugally so I think going back to to that and being more it was really just being more intentional about what we were spending um, she could she could get on board with uh, especially looking at kind of the the goal of okay well we can we can get to a place where if we decide that the work that we're doing isn't where we want to be anymore, that's, that's a viable option that we can make whatever changes we need to make without having the, uh, the external pressure of, of needing that paycheck in our life. And then did you guys put a date down or anything like that where you're like, here's where we're, our trajectory is heading. We, we did. Uh, I think I ran a couple of different, scenarios and kind of looked at like, all right, well, when, like when we're, or I guess when I'm, you know, when I'm 42, like maybe we could be at a place where we'd be kind of like, mm -hmm. like that lean fi. Um, and, you know, we could continue to, to live, you know, pretty modestly and, and frugally with the money that we had then we thought perhaps we would not be able to stay in Austin because property taxes in Austin are, are pretty substantial. Um, but we thought we could, we could go somewhere and 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 be there um at that time if that's what we wanted from from our career okay and what would you do if you didn't work do you know i i don't know um there's still uh an interest that i have in in teaching from when i was growing up 
Uh, so I would like to find something that that I could express that, uh, whether it might be through 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 writing or video or maybe podcasting or something. I, I don't know. I don't know what the topic would be and I don't know what the medium would be. Um, but I like, I like learning things and then I like being able to kind of put those things together and share them with other people. Um, so I, I hope that I could find, you know, something that I could, I could really live, you know, live that out. What, um, is there an age group or certain like set of people that you enjoy teaching more than others? Uh, probably adults. Um, I didn't get along great with high school kids when I was in high school. Uh, and I, I can't imagine it'd really be that much better now. Um, and the kinds of things that I'm interested in probably wouldn't, wouldn't interest most kids that are younger than that. Um, yeah. Before we move on to the next section, I have one more question for you. So are, are you fine now? Have you reached financial independence? We, we have. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So let's talk about how this golden ticket has or has not changed your spending and money habits. You told me a pretty amusing story. I, I saw you in Austin uh, recently, and you told me a story about comparing prices at grocery stores. Can you explain that and let us know if you still do that now? Yeah. So when, when we started um, learning about financial independence and really focusing in on our food budget, because that was a substantial part of our spending, uh, I went all in, right? So, um, so not only did we do the meal plan, but for a couple months, whenever I went to any grocery store and picked up anything, I would mark down the price and the unit price. And I have a spreadsheet for that because of course I do. Um, and, and I was, you know, I was that guy who, since we had our, our ingredients already, when I knew what I needed to get from the store, I would look at, um, the, the HEB, which is our kind of local grocery store, um, Sprouts, which is more of a, a national brand. Uh, and then, uh, Randall's, which is like an Albertson's brand. And I would have all three websites up on my computer and go, all right, um, we need, uh, uh, a can of great Northern beans who has the best price on great Northern beans this week. Uh, and it would never be Albertsons cause that's not what they do, but or Randall's. Um, but I'd go look and like, Oh, sprouts is great. Northern beans on sale this week. It's 37 cents instead of 58 cents. So I'm going to go get my great Northern <laughs> beans at sprouts this week. Right. And, and for just everything down, I'd go down the list and, and on my shopping list, be like, here's the grocery store that I'm going to get it at um, this time. Uh, and then for things that we might get occasionally, like, oh man, the strawberries are just, they're just too expensive this week. Like I know I can get them for a dollar 50 a pound and now they're $2 and 25 cents a pound. So I'm just, I'm not going to get strawberries this week. Uh, yeah. Was you, this an effective use of your time? Yeah. <laughs> you still do How much did you save? Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're not still doing this. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, not generally still doing that. Um, but at that point, I was going to the stores anyway, sure. uh, and I found that, you know, just typing in some stuff into the, the you know, the search bar of a couple different websites really didn't take that much extra time. I could go through our whole grocery list in, in five minutes or so, and if I ended up saving 10 or $15 a week, like, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I 
Yeah, that's more than I would have expected. Well, is that about right? Uh, Ten or fifteen bucks, like uh, if you got the right deal or something. It it usually would would end up around that. Um, frequently, just it, it would be things like uh, like produce, where one store might have um, you know something that was on sale. Like I could go find the thing that was on sale, um, or meat. Uh, you know, you you might find a, a store head. We eat a lot of chicken thighs, so maybe a store had chicken thighs like you know, buy one, get one free or something. And you can, you could really do well, um, with, with that. Okay. Yeah. And we were, um, side story. So we were, the four of us were hanging out with uh, Jake. So Jake is the fourth person. He was talking about how he wanted to get some, uh, baby back ribs from Sam's, but they were out. I went to Sam's right after that and they had a bunch. So I, I bought him some and you're right. Yeah. I mean, it was like a dollar off per pound. So yeah. it was a pretty good, pretty good savings. So, I guess, I guess it's uh, worth, Carl worth the time. Carl just looks dumbstruck right now. Like you can't believe that this was this was a thing that I actually did every week. It, it, it cracks me up. I'll tell you one other story. I've got a relative who's very well off, and they're obsessed with gas. They're a little bit older, and I think as people get older, this becomes an obsession for some people. And it's a super obsession for these people. Every time I see them, they talk about gas for for minutes. I have a fifteen minute conversation that I don't want to have about fuel prices. So uh, Costco is not close to us, but this guy's telling me, he's like, you know, I'm going to go down to Costco and get some gas. It's like a, a dime cheaper. I'm like, well, you've got a pretty substantial vehicle. By the time you get down there, I think all your savings are going to be erased. You're going to use up all that gas just to get down to Costco and back. And do you know what his response was? He said, well, it's cheaper at Costco. I'm like, what? You missed the whole point. Plus your time. You don't need to do this. Stop fucking looking at gas prices. Just Go to the local, like if there's three on a corner and one's cheaper, of course, go to that yeah. one. But otherwise it's, uh, I think most of these, uh, exercises are a waste of time unless you're really struggling. If you're in college, like totally, totally do that. And you have more time, but mm-hmm. things shift, right? You get a family, you've got kids, you don't have time to compare, um, cans of great Northern, great Northern beans. Great is that, Northern beans. Is that a kind of bean or is, is that a, a kind of bean? Yeah. Okay. Who you knew? don't your beans, man. You know, all this asparagus stuff, but, uh, okay. JT, you recently went on a very expensive trip. Can you tell us about that? And it is obviously a departure from the grocery spreadsheet uh, analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Which we, we still do the meal planning for the grocery stuff, but I don't comparison shop every ingredient anymore. Um, yeah. So we, uh, recently went on uh, a trip to Peru, uh, to go see, Machu Picchu and kind of the surrounding Andean mountains. Um, this was a, a, a milestone trip for, for us. Uh, I had a milestone birthday this year. We had a milestone anniversary this year. So I thought, let's, let's just try something a little different. Like normally uh, I'm the guy who's looking to find $50 off on the best airline price. Even if it means we leave at six 30 in the morning instead of, you know, nine 45 in the morning or something. Uh, I thought this, let, let's, let's try to do something, um, as, as an experiment, let's go somewhere really nice. Uh, we, we can afford it. So let's give it a try and maybe we'll go and we'll go, you know, that was really nice, but it wasn't that much nicer than the stuff that we normally do. Or maybe we'll, we'll go and go, you know, that was actually just really nice. Uh, we would like to do that again. Uh, so we found uh, we found a place in Peru that uh, we we could do a lot of things that we wanted. We could do some hiking, uh, a lot of hiking, some some biking, 
uh, we'd get to see a lot of the area. Uh, we'd get to eat some really good food, have some really nice drinks, stay in a really nice bed. Uh, and we'd get to do what we wanted. It wasn't like a fixed tour itinerary. They'd have, I don't know, 20 different hikes that you could do. And you'd get to pick like, well, this one I want to do on this day. And this day I only want to do something for a half day and, and I'll, you know, hang out at the, at the lodge for the rest of the day. Um, so that's, that's kind of the direction that we thought, you know, let's, let, let's give it a try. Uh, and it ended up being, uh, really awesome. Uh, and we decided, you know, this, this actually might be, might be worth it for where we are now financially, um, for, for future trips that we might, we might decide to take. How long was the trip? Uh, we were at the lodge for six nights. Okay. Yeah. And have you ever taken like, uh, I don't know, like slow travel, like really long trips, you know, three, three weeks or, you know, a couple months or something? Not, not really. Uh, we, we've come up to Colorado, uh, and spent several weeks here. <clears throat> um, not necessarily as a, as a travel experience, but because we have family up here. Sure. Um, and then when I, as I was growing up, my dad was in the military. So we did really slow travel where we'd be two and a half years somewhere. And then, you know, two and a half years somewhere else. Okay. But in terms of the, the vacations that, that we typically take, um, you know, our work doesn't usually let us go for, you know, four weeks or six weeks. Sure. Okay. So you were there for, uh, six days, you said, and, uh, talk about the food a little bit. You know, you said you were foodies and yeah. What, what kind of stuff did you have? And did you have control of the menu, that sort of thing? Yeah. So the, they had the, the menu set they worked with, uh, uh, I think his name was Virgilio Rodriguez. He's a Michelin starred chef out of Lima. Uh, so at the super famous Peruvian, um, chef, they worked with him to, to get the menu, um, it was unfortunately not a like super Peruvian menu, um, but he did use a lot of uh, ingredients local to the area of, of the lodge in uh, in the menu. Uh, and I don't know all the, I don't remember all the, sure. the specific meals. Um, they did have like a, a four day rotating menu. So they'd have, I don't know, it's usually two or three different options for, for lunch or, or dinner. Um, and then the next day they'd have two or three completely different options, uh, and they'd rotate through that every, every four days. So it sounds like camp Fi, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just like camp Fi. Um, yeah, that's, that's cool with the, with the food and having like just high quality. I expect a chef like that is going to get like the best ingredients and all that kind of stuff. So very cool. So this was by far the most expensive vacation you've ever done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it wasn't even close. Yeah. Let's talk about this for a second. A moment ago, we were talking about comparing prices on Great Northern Beans to spending a large sum of money on an all-inclusive place with a Michelin-rated Michelin rated food. I don't even, I'm kind of trash. I need to talk about. I, I'm sure that I've heard that term before. I know it's very fancy. Um, can you talk to that a little bit? Uh, that's a pretty big transition. It It is. Uh, and it has been a, a big transition for, for both of us to look at, okay, we have a lot more money than we did four years ago. Um, what, what does that mean or what should that mean about how we, we live our lives, um, and, and what we spend on. 
And I think, you know, my, my thoughts on this keep evolving as we get more used to, to the situation. Um, but one of the things I, I think I'm at now, one of the, one of the places I think I'm at now is a lot of people in the financial independence community use, you know, uh, a savings target or a spending target. And it almost seems like that's a, that's a goal for them. And I'm not convinced right now that that's a great goal to have. It can be a great tactic. It can be a great technique. It can be a great way to get you from, from the, the life that you have to a life that maybe more fully uh, lives out the values that you have. But I don't know that that's a great goal in itself. Um, and, and so as we've started thinking about, you know, well, what, what is it that we value? Um, and, and what does it make sense to spend on, on those things? Given the change in our financial situation, uh, it has moved us from, okay, uh, I'm going to go see where I can save 85 cents on a, on a package of strawberries to, you know, we, we really do want to go on a, on a trip where we can just kind of get away. Like we don't want to be surrounded by a, a bunch of people in, in a big tourist spot. We want to go on a trail that maybe nobody's been on for, for three weeks. Uh, and, and we can go do that. We want to, we want to go be active and then come back and, uh, feel really fancy and, you know, uh, eat really nice food, um, have, some really nice cocktails and then sleep in a bed that we're just going to you know fall asleep on like that. Uh, so that, that was, you know, kind of the, the value, at least for, for that trip that we, we thought, well, what, what does it look like to really try to maximize that here? Um, sure. Yeah. So I've got one more comment on this. I think the value word is really interesting because I know you, I've been to your house, I've seen your cars, I've driven them. And I know you live in Austin, which is expensive, but your house is modest. You don't have a super fancy house. You don't have super fancy cars. So I think the important lesson in this may be like, figure out what really matters to you. Clearly the cars don't matter as much to you. So you can save money on that, but spend money on what you really care about. And I think the whole trick to that is actually figuring out what really has value to you. Because I think... Some folks get caught up in stuff and they think it has value, but then it's just a ego play because they need this car because it looks great to their neighbors. And yeah. And it's, it's turned out to be a harder question than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I understand, you know, I, I think all of us are in, in pretty privileged positions where we get to sit and talk about, well, what, what are we going to value and how do we live that out with our time and all that? But for, for a lot of my life, um, you know, through, through school and then through the early part of my career, a lot of my decisions felt like they were driven by external constraints. You know, you need to make enough money to be able to, to have a place to live and, and, uh, go get stuff to eat, you know, all that. Um, and though I never worried about those things specifically, um, you know, it was let's, let's get good grades or let's pursue these goals, uh, and, and that sort of drove a lot of your decisions on what you do with your time. And when you reach a point or we reached a point at least where, uh, we thought we, we could, if we wanted to both quit right now and we'd be fine. It really makes you sit and think about, okay, now everything I do with my time, I'm doing with my time because I want to. 
And how am I going to feel about that in 20 years, 30 years, right? Uh, kind of like Dr. Yu was talking about on the, the episode that you, you, you had with him, um, really sitting down and thinking about what are the things that I value? If I had complete control over my time, what would I do? Um, it's a question that I hadn't really had a lot of opportunity to, to, to seriously sit and think about other than a purely intellectual exercise. And now, you know, now we're at a point where, yeah, you're, you're accountable to your values now, not to these external constraints. And it's trickier than I thought it would be. You mentioned, and I'm, I may mangle it a little bit here, but in the FI community, a lot of people are fixated on a savings goal or maybe an expenses goal to make sure they're not spending too much. And I wonder what you might think the pitfalls of aiming towards a target like that would be. I think the biggest pitfall is it is it takes your attention away from the reasons that that might be important. Um, there's, you know, there are lots of, of good reasons to have those goals very strict. Maybe you really want that autonomy and direction over your time. Okay, well, you, you can't do that if you need your paycheck to, to live day to day. So you put these, these things in place as a means toward that autonomy. Uh, maybe you want to really minimize your impact on the environment around you. And that controls, like you think that the, the best way to do that is to buy fewer things, to be really minimalist in how you approach your life. And, and that's great too. Like, I think that's an, an awesome value to want to, to want to live off of. And that could drive like, oh, well, I only want to spend on these kinds of things, or I really want to minimize my spending to minimize my impact on, on the environment around me. Um, but to, to have those, I think those number goals is, is goals in themselves can, can cloud the values that are around them. If you really value generosity and giving, having a really strict goal might put you in a spot where you're like, oh, well, I mean, I can't, uh, everything from I can't buy a round of drinks for my friends to I can't give to this cause that really resonates with me because I've got this, this number and the number uh, supplants the, the value in that case. Um, so I, I think it's just important to, 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 to see those numbers as a, a tactic or a technique and to let the values drive the tactic um, rather than I, I love a good spreadsheet, right? I love to watch the number go up and to the right. Uh, and it, that's easy. It's easy to do. It's, I mean, it's not easy to do, but you know, it's easier to, to follow that than to sit and think about, all right, well, how is my life reflecting my values? What is it that I even value? Right. Um, so I, I think it can just be a, an easier question to answer. And so it's an easier one to focus on. Mm -hmm. On the topic of spreadsheets, do you keep a budget or track your spending or track your investments? Uh, we, we, I'd say we track more than we budget these days. Um, we, you know, definitely track our, our investments. Uh, I have uh, a number of, of spreadsheets at different levels of detail on, you know, from a like 18 line net worth statement um, that we, we look at about once a month to a much more detailed uh, investment allocation spreadsheet that, that uh, I keep track of. Um, 
I do like to know where our money goes, but we are at a point now that looking backwards at it is enough. Uh, and, and we can go, Oh, we spent, we really spent a lot of money on, I don't even know on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, do we care first? And then if we care, what, what do we want to do about it? Mm -hmm. What do you guys do? Carl? Um, we track our spending, but we don't really have a budget. Um, yeah, I think at one point maybe that would have been appropriate, but now it's um, yeah. a waste of exercise. I still like to see where our money is going, though, because sometimes it's surprising. And, and yeah. How, how about you, Doug? Um, well, before I answer, aren't you and Mindy doing like a monthly series on her show about budgeting? I yeah, mean, we are. I, I should know the URL for that, <laughs> like uh, biggerpockets.com forward slash Mindy's budget, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. I, I should know that. I'll put a link to it on the show notes. It's pretty good. I, I listened to the the series. So, um, yeah, um, we're pretty much the same as what you guys mentioned. We have technically we have a budget, but it's kind of been set for the last few years and we really just track it, um, after we spend the money yeah. and it's like, uh, this is what our fixed expenses are. And then we have variable stuff. Like I just did the, the front yard here. I bought like, you know, a few hundred, uh, maybe a thousand bucks of like a rock. So that wasn't in the budget, but it was a, it was a big expense. So, but we didn't worry about it too much. Okay. Where are we at here? I think it's my turn. Okay. How did your parents impact your views on money and spending? So I, I learned a lot from my parents about money uh, and we talked about money a lot and I got to see them demonstrate money a lot. Uh, I was uh, very fortunate and that my, my dad uh, paid and continues to pay a lot of attention to personal finance strategy. So he was the one who handled a lot of the investments in, in, the, in the family. Uh, he's the one who <clears throat> put everything into, into Quicken. Um, I don't know if <laughs> either of you remember Quicken or ever used I remember it, it. yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, you know, kept track of, of all the, the, the data. Um, my mom was, a, a very tactical, um, financial person. So she would always know where the best gas prices in town were. She would know, um, you know, here's the, the items at this grocery store that's on sale now. Um, here's the items in this other grocery store that are on sale now. Uh, here's the time of year that you buy strawberries. Here's the time of year that you buy peaches, you know, or whatever. Um, so I got to see both sides, you know, both the, the, the really kind of day-to-day um, tactical part. And my mom's amazing. She just keeps all this stuff in her head. She didn't need a spreadsheet to track all of it. She just knows it. Uh, and I got to see the long-term, all right, where do we want things to be in 20 years? How do we get from where we are to there? Um, how do we think about retirement accounts and, you know, tax advantaged accounts? Um, how do you, how do you look at your financial position from the big picture? Uh, so I, I was fortunate enough to have really great examples of both of those. And they were both happy, um, and eager to teach, uh, my brother and I both sides of this. So we would go shopping with my mom. Not that I love going shopping, but we would get to see, uh, why she made the purchasing decisions that she did. We would get to go to 
four different grocery stores because they had different things on sale and, and we'd have different coupons for, for all of those things. Um, and we'd get to see, you know, uh, go, go look for mutual funds that have low expense ratios, go, you know, kind of think about value versus growth stocks in, in this way. Um, my, uh, my parents gave us both, um, good, good examples and a, a good amount of help. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I worked at a local grocery store and, uh, my parents contributed to a Roth IRA to the amount that I made. My dad's position was, this is important to me. You know, I want it to be important to you. You're 16. Like, let me go put a bunch of money in a Roth IRA for, for when I'm 59 and a half. That's not going to matter to you. But seeing that this is important to me is, is, uh, you know, ha- had an, it had an impact on, on me. And I continued to do that through, you know, when, when he stopped and then I worked in college and then early career, like I went, this was important to him. It was important enough to him that, that they put their money into it. It should probably be important to me. Uh, yeah. So I, I had, I had really good examples across, I think the, the spectrum of personal finance uh, topics from, from both my parents. I'm really grateful for that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's kind of the opposite. I think a lot of the people we talk to, it's like their parents were so bad with money that they realized they had a gap in knowledge and they went and tried to learn about it. But yeah, very few great examples like that. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's awesome. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about fitness. Uh, you're a pretty fit guy, JT. Uh, do you have a fitness routine? Uh, I, I do. I love to run. Running is probably my, my favorite exercise. Uh, if I could run every day, um, I absolutely would. Uh, my body has decided that running every day is not really something that it wants to do, uh, as, especially as I am not 20 anymore. Um, and so I, I, I do try to, I started to, to work in some, some weightlifting as well. Um, so right now, uh, I think I, I run about four days a week. I try to run about five to seven miles, uh, when I, when I run and then I try to, to be in the gym two days a week, uh, to, to do a relatively simple, uh, weight routine. Okay. Yeah. I was impressed. We, um, you went to camp Fi uh, also, so we got to hang out then and a group of us, uh, walked up the, uh, what is it called? The, the incline the Manitou incline. Yeah. So we went up that, which is roughly it's upstairs and it's like walking upstairs for about a mile. It's kind of steep, right? Yeah. And it's uh, about 6,000 feet of elevation or so, or or, yeah, the elevation at that area is about 6,000 feet. Anyway, I was impressed coming from Austin. You, uh, you were ahead of me and I was one of the, one of the sort of front runners in our group, but I was like, man, I can't believe JT made it up this thing. And yeah, you, you just crushed it. Did you have, have, have you done it before? No, I'd never done the incline before. Okay. Um, I've, I've heard about it. It's, you know, a lot of the, the running community yeah. in the front range, they're like, oh, the incline, like, yeah. like you're not going to run up it unless you're Jake, yeah. but um, like, it's a, it's a cool thing to do. So, yeah. Was it uh tougher than you thought or just about right? Or did you just go fast enough to stay ahead of me or <laughs> what was the deal? <laughs> no, I mean, I, th- I think it was, I think it was just about right. Like it was, it was a good challenge. Um, it was a good workout to be sure. Uh, I tried to, uh, because I've been running so long, I think I have a reasonable sense of like when I'm just going to crash and be done. Cause I've, 
bonked on lots of runs. Uh, so I, I was mostly just trying to, you know, let me keep my, my heart rate at a, at a good pace where I can keep making progress. Um, and, and maybe, maybe I can get Jake breathing kind of hard, <laughs> which didn't happen, didn't. but, yeah. uh, yeah, we got, we got a hundred steps from the end and he just takes off and just leaves <laughs> me. It was amazing. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good workout. Um, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty fun. And well, you, you talked about how much you like running. Why do you like running so much? I don't know. I think, um, initially it was a, a good form of meditation and in some ways you just, you're out there before I started listening to podcasts on my runs, uh, you're just out there with your thoughts and like, that's it is there's, there's not really anything else there. Um, unless you're running with, with someone else. Um, I like the, the measurement aspect of it. Right. Um, in, in a lot of my work, which is probably similar to the, the careers that both of you had, it's real hard to get an objective measure. Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? I don't know. It depends on, on what my boss says today and how my boss feels today and how I feel about what I'm doing. Like it's really squishy. Um, and running is not squishy at all. Uh, here's, here's my route. Here's my time. Did I make the time that I wanted? Did I, did I make a better time than I made last time? I really wanted to check my time. Uh, there's, there's nothing, you know, you either did it or you didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that piece of it, um, was probably more appealing to me when I was younger, uh, and, and has probably shifted a little now that again, my, my body likes to, to not do as much of that anymore. Um, but I do enjoy just being out. You get to see a lot of different things. You get to see things a lot more slowly than you would in a car. Uh, and I like the feeling of having run. Uh, it just, it feels good for me. Yeah. And that's a, I don't know how fast you run, but it sounds like you're running about an hour or so. I, I love that sort of time frame where it's like, it's not too long where it totally crushes your body and you're like yeah. sore for a couple of days or at least for older guys like us. Um, but yeah, that hour time frame is really good. Um, Carl, you told me that you've been running a bunch, right? What's going on with that? Yeah, I have. Every other day I do a run. I've got this app called RunKeeper, and I put in there that I want to run 100 miles over the next three months, which isn't that much, but it's a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. How's it going? How do you feel? Uh, it's going all right. I, I got to tell you, Doug and JT, I hate running. Like, So I actually did a half marathon a couple of years ago, and I did the whole training program, and I did it successfully. And when I started the training program, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like I suck at the start, but at some point this is going to get easier and I'll just be able to run and not be out of breath and I'll actually be able to talk while I'm running. And I got to tell you that that never happened. It never got easier. I'm sure I got better and maybe I, I pushed myself a little bit more and I got faster. So I always felt the same, but I, what I will say is it always sucked. It never <laughs> did not suck. I, I hate running. D didn't you get the endorphins and the runners high and all, all the good stuff? I feel better for having done it and I feel good for doing it, but the actual process of it is, ah, I, I can't stand it. So I, I know you love to walk and it seems like you would, if you would walk for, for hours, um, and it seems like you really enjoy that. What do you, what do you think is the difference between your, your walking time and your running time? I think I'm, I'm genetically very poor. I, I know I've got smaller lungs. We did that in biology lab one time and, uh, 
Yeah, I don't think I'm cut out to be a runner. The best 5K time I ever had was like, it was under 30 minutes, but not by much, maybe 28 something. So I think no matter how hard I train, like the best mile I ever did was high school, like seven and a half minutes, which sucks too. I just don't think I'm cut out to be a runner. I don't have the genetic disposition for it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I feel like you're writing yourself off. You're like giving yourself an excuse. But uh, if you don't like it, that's cool. But I'm like, oh, you could do it, man. Come on. What I'm going to continue to do it. Doug, we could do the, oh, I know you've got some injuries, but I am going to do the 5K at Shoes and Brews yeah. in, in November. I've been trying to do, um, get my Achilles back on, in shape here. I'm doing more ankle raises, trying to ice it up and like get the swelling to go down. But um, yeah, the, the tragic part is I love to run, but I have, you know, this older body that's, you know, it's a little beat up, a couple yeah. dents around the corners doesn't, there. Doesn't want to do it. No, but I'm glad you're running. I, hopefully, I mean, what? well, if you don't like running so much, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> well, that's another interesting story that probably isn't a good one. So the last 5K I did, I, I started running and I was running with a friend and his kids. And I learned at the start of the race that his kid's goal was to beat me in the race. And that, <laughs> that was the whole goal. So I'm, ra I'm racing this six-year-old and he was ahead of me for almost the whole thing. And at the end I, I overtook him. So I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I beat him. And then I'm like, dude, you beat a, a six year old. I saw, yeah, he mysteriously tripped. It was very, very <laughs> odd. Right. Right. When Carl was nearby. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how that happened. So then he's like, okay, the next time I will beat Carl. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty competitive. I don't like, uh, so th that's kind of my motivation this time. Not to, to beat get a six-year-old. And he might even be five. I don't know. But in another year or two, it's completely over. I've got like maybe two more races with him, and then he's just going to annihilate me. And yeah. th then I'll probably quit after that. But. He has good genes. So it's tough. <laughs> yeah, he's got real good genes. Well, like I said, I'm glad you're running. And uh, maybe I'll, depending on when that 5K is, um, I could do a 5K. The problem is I'm I'm lightly competitive. So if there's other people running around me, like the last mile, I'll want to like go faster. And that's when I'm susceptible to like pop that Achilles, which I definitely do not want to do. So anyway. That would be bad. I do not have the strength to carry you to the finish line. <laughs> Jake probably could though. J Jake probably, probably could. Yeah. Man, Jake. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So should we finish up? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's close out here. JT, what does your perfect day look like? There would be a run involved. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably about that, that same hour, like 45 minutes to an hour and 15, something like that. Um, so a, a good run. Um, probably hang out with the, the kids a little bit. Uh, they're, they're at an age now that they still like spending time with me. Uh, and they're old enough that they can do things that I think are fun too. Uh, so this is a, a good time to maybe go for a hike or, or play games with them or something, uh, spend a little bit of time with them. Uh, I'd probably do some reading because uh, I, I, I like to read uh, a mix of, of fiction and, and nonfiction. Uh, and it it's it's good for me. But maybe I do a little work. Uh, I, I like especially the intellectual challenges of the the work that that I get to do. Uh, and, and solving those problems is, is pretty, pretty fun. And then there'd probably be some barbecue at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, I, maybe a brisket, maybe some ribs, uh, probably some, some good beer, uh, and hopefully hanging out with, with some people that I enjoy hanging out with, maybe have them, have them all come over. I don't know that I'd want to, want to cook the barbecue that day. 
Um, though that could be fun too, but maybe just have them, you know, over and we could all hang out and eat some barbecue and drink some beer. Uh, I think, I think that'd be a pretty great day for me. I like JT's perfect day. I'll skip the running part and, uh, join in with you for the rest. Yeah. That does sound like a good day. The, the more, the more I run, the more I can, the more beer I can drink and not feel bad about it. So that's what I always said. It's like, I just run so I could drink beer and eat barbecue. Basically. It's a good trade off. Okay. I asked you, I, I gave you a heads up on this one. It's okay if you don't have an answer, but who would you describe as successful or maybe how you view success? Yeah. So I, I think it is more a, a class of, of people who um, live maybe intentionally is the, the way that I describe it, who have uh, some amount of clarity of what they want to get out of life um, in in a really spend the resources that they have, whether it's their time or their attention or their money uh, in, in living those out as, as best and as deeply as they can. So uh, I think one, one person that, that comes to mind, I saw one of his books over there uh, is Cal Newport, who seems to just really have, a good focus on what he wants out of his professional life and his personal life um, and is really disciplined in pursuing those, uh, those values um, in, in his life. Uh, I think my, my dad is, is similar in that, that he's um, he's given a lot of thought to what he values and uh, really does a great job. I think of, um, both communicating those values to the people around him and living those values consistently. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of other metrics of, of success can come from, can come from that. Uh, but I think, you know, when you're looking back at your life, I think that's really going to be the thing that I'd want to look back at and go, okay, I was, I was intentional. Uh, even if my values may change over time, uh, you know, as, as I went through life, I was intentional about discovering what those were about myself and discovering how, um, how I could, uh, live those consistently. That's a good place to finish. JT, this has been great. Where can people find you? Uh, that's a good question. I don't <laughs> know. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on the bigger pockets money group. Not that I need to to plug Mindy's Facebook group on, uh, <laughs> on your show. Um, but I'm, I, I'm there. Uh, uh, I guess I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at Jay Longino. You'll probably need to okay. include that. In your yeah. Notes. We'll, we'll link it up, but it sounds like if people are trying to find you, they can go to a brewery or That's a barbecue right. yeah. place in Austin yes. and you might be there. Yes. Um, <laughs> or a running trail. Perhaps. Or a run, yeah. Or a, or a running trail. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right. Cool. We'll link up your uh, Twitter just in case people want to get in touch with you. But yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast. And I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host. And Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. 
It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. You've been in town for a couple days now, and the last time I talked to you, you were going to Georgia Boys. What, what'd you get? How'd you like it? Yeah, we got the the family pack. So it's got some some chicken, some ribs, uh, some pulled pork. I added some brisket into it, uh, and then you get to pick some sides. Jake had said, you got to get the sweet potatoes. So we got the sweet potatoes. We got some coleslaw. We got um, some cornbread and the, and the beans, which was another Jake suggestion. So- it All was right. uh it was pretty fantastic. Yeah. How is the brisket? You come from land of the land of brisket. Uh I have a preference for moist brisket rather than the <laughs> the the lean brisket. Yeah. So the the whole cut that we got was from the flat, like the the whole half pound that we got. So it was good, but it wasn't my my preferred cut of a brisket. Yeah. I like the uh I like the point, the fatty part. Yeah. I mean, I don't eat all the f- fat on there unless it rendered really good. But um, yeah, what kind of brisket do you like? I did not know there were multiple kinds. I really liked the one you made, Doug. I, I like the one I had at Franklin's, which is where um, our guest hails from. That was super good. But And I would say those two, the Franklin's one and yours were were probably better than the one I've had at Georgia Boys, but who knows? Maybe they were different kinds. I had no idea there was different brisket before right now. It's it's more different areas of the brisket. So there's one that has more fat in it and one, you know, an end that has more fat and an end that has less fat. And so they'll, they have a different texture to them uh, depending on which end of the brisket you get. Okay. At Georgia Boys, did you honor us by ordering the asparagus casserole? I We did not uh, get to the asparagus casserole. They only... Uh, they only included four sides with the the uh, the family platter that they had. So I went ahead and got the ones that I thought the family would like rather than the ones that I thought would make a good joke for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. It, it usually sells out pretty quick. You probably would not have been able to get it anyway. I didn't even know they had that. Yeah, they don't. I just made it up. Oh, oh. man. I was like, I think you could, you could make that, you know, for Thanksgiving instead yeah. of the green bean casserole. Put an asparagus, or even better, sneak in some asparagus to the green bean casserole. Oh, then when everybody so goes to the bathroom, they're like, oh, no, I'm getting very sick. <laughs> um, it smells like putrid in here. I'm actually kind of glad to know you made it up. If I'd have seen it, I probably would have went like, oh, yeah, this would be great for the podcast. And I probably would have gotten it. So We appreciate your support. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll come up with a recipe for that. So if people listen to this whole sound check, they're in for a surprise.